You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Put the title of our message up, and it is simply change. Throughout the day, the Lord was speaking to me from early as I began to meditate on the passages that He was giving me about change, about transformation, and really just thinking about how of all these years that I've been serving him for the last 30 years, uh, nothing's the same. There's nothing, nothing the same. The only thing that is the same is him. The only thing that is the same is his spirit, his love for me, his concern for me has no end. Uh, but everything else is constantly changing, constantly uh, changing. So I began to study the scriptures today about specifically this concept of change and the Lord began to speak to me and minister to my heart and I want to share that message with you tonight. In introduction we read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8-10 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we see clearly here that God has a plan, He has a purpose. We also know that God is in control, He's in control of our lives, and it is up to us to put our lives in His hands. We come and subject ourselves to Him, we submit to His promptings, the promptings of the Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and His work in us. Is, is constant. He's making us into something new. And that's a scary word. Because we like old. Jesus said about men, they like the old wine better. He said men like the old wine better because we like what we know. And I always joke about Jeremiah. He says, I know the plans I have. He doesn't say he's going to tell them the plans. He just says he knows them. The steps that the righteous man are ordered, but we cannot know our way. There's so much he does not let us know. I was reading about a famous um, teacher, preacher, pastor. I was reading some of the things, and they were asking him questions. And a very intelligent response, he said that he finds that, um, this is a man who's been in the ministry for a very long time, he says he finds that God treats us on a need-to-know basis. And that pretty much is the bottom line. That he only reveals to us what we need to know. Uh, but we are very curious people. <laughs> you know, we want to know everything. And uh, he doesn't want to tell us everything. I think our greatest frustrations come down to that. That he's in control and we're not. And we are all control freaks. We like being in control. There's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than not having the remote control to the television in my hand. When somebody else in the room, when my wife has the remote control, I'm unsettled. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable because we're going to end up somewhere I don't want to be. How many cooking shows can I watch? I don't care about flower arrangements. I don't care. So I like having the control. And we're like that about many areas in our life. And God, of course, is the one in control. And it, well, I mean, this verse perfectly says it, right? We're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. We had nothing to do with it from the beginning. He gave us a gift of faith. He gives to every man a measure of faith, but He put it within us, and we're saved. It's the gift of God, not by works, not what we can do, not by what we control, by actions, or what we can do with our own hands. So that we'll never be able to say we did something or we made ourselves. You know, the pot does not say, um, speak back to the potter. He's the potter, we're the clay. We are God's handiwork. One translation says masterpiece. Another translation says workmanship. Another translation just says creation. But that's too general for me. I like handiwork. I like the fact that we have been woven and made by Him according to His purposes created in Jesus Christ to do good works. The whole purpose of us being created by God is to do something. Not just to be and to be happy and to be content in a covenant with Him, but to do something. These works that He's prepared in advance for us to do, which means He has a strategy and a plan. Now, for us to accommodate God's strategy and plan, we're going to have to go through some serious 
metamorphosis, and that's why in the title, back up to the title, I have written under there, Evolutionary Metamorphosis of the Believer. No, I'm not preaching on evolution. Just using the word. We evolve from level to level. There's a metamorphosis. Yes, we are constantly being changed. The Bible later will see, says that uh, every day, day by day, we're being changed into something new. This is the believers come to him and we become uh, clay that he's molding. An evolutionary metamorphosis of the believer is what we have to undergo. And, and this process that God is using is, is what is always changing us. He never changes, as I said earlier, but we're changing from day to day. And it can be hard at times, the change. Sometimes change is welcome. You know, if everything's falling apart and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and change comes, you're like, hallelujah, yay, something different. But if things are the way you like them and you're comfortable, there's nothing more frightening than change. But he does this according to him. And so sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's a wonderful adventure. Yay! And then sometimes it's a torturous nightmare because of the aforementioned ignorance that we suffer from. We don't always know, but we submit. And as I studied this concept today throughout the Word of God, I learned about the process of God's work of reformation in us. And I've highlighted seven facts about change that I want us to see. Just from different places in the Word of God, the anchor point of my logic throughout this message, of course, is the word change. Although you may not see that word literally in the verses I've chosen, it's speaking about a metamorphosis or a transformation. And so these are the facts that the Lord was speaking to me today. Fact number one, a change is a choice. Matthew 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now the fact is, immutably, change is a choice. We've been given a free will, and honestly, many people decide not to change. You know some people like that, very obstinate, hard-headed people. They have decided what they are. They've gelled into a certain personality and characteristics about them, their traits, their attributes, everything about them, be it negative or positive, they are what they are, and that's it. They don't grow any longer. I Statistically, I heard that if someone does not regularly embrace... Uh, new fads, uh, then um, new trends, then by the time that person is 25, they'll be 90% uh, likely to not embrace fads for the rest of their life. Uh, this is a psychological statistic. If someone by the age of 35 has not consistently and regularly embraced new foods, the things they eat, that they have a 90% chance of not trying anything new from the age of 35 to the rest of their life. You know those people, right? Hey, you want to try this? No, no, no. Uh-uh. That always makes me mad. It makes me so mad. Because I like new. I always like new. But so from 35 on, those people, that's it. Once they're set, their taste buds are set. In fact, because of the psychological dilemma or the, the jail they put themselves in, if they do try or they're forced to, it'll actually make them ill. But really, it's a psychosomatic process. You know, they just decided they want to be sick because they reject it, and so, as a result, they end up feeling ill. Technically, they're not dying from food poisoning, but they just, they have adamantly decided, we don't want to change. By the age of 45, if someone does not regularly accept new clothing, <coughs> fashions of clothing, then from that moment on, time will stand still. And if they, are, if, they, if they turn 45 at the year 2005, then you could go 50 years in their future when they're 95 and they will have the same exact fashion of clothes. 90% chance of that. Because we don't like change. But we see the change is a choice. And we see here that he calls this little child to them because they all want to have this position in the kingdom. They want to be, in other words, actively involved. Great in the kingdom means participating in the kind of works that Jesus was doing. It's for this reason we're created to do good works. 
like it said. So yeah, it's a function. They want to do the function. And he says, okay, I'm going to show you how you can be functional in my kingdom. Get that boy, bring him here. See this little child? Because think about a child, exactly, unless you change, he says, and become like that little child, he says very clearly, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you will not be a participant in the works of God because the work requires that we constantly be metamorphosized or transformed into something different all the time. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, this says that they have to take that position. In other words, it is a choice. He's not saying that I am the Lord your God that has brought you out of the land of Egypt and I shall transform you. You have no choice. No, he gives us free will and choice to do whatever we want to do. And there are some hard-headed people who decide that they never want to change. They never want to do anything other than what they are. And I see those people stagnate and be left in the past. They just die somewhere. It can happen to an entire church. If a church, if a social group of a church does not want to continually embrace what is new, that church will die and will stand still in time. I mean, if you've ever been to a church and you could swear you went through a time portal. The songs, they're singing songs for 1984, 85, they only have the old hill songs. And that's what they're singing and the people do things exactly and they prophesy the way that people prophesied in 1885 and the traditions of that time stagnated them back then because they were not willing to embrace change. Because it's a choice. And so we're tasked with the responsibility of being in control of our lives and we have the control. But will you yield that control to the Lord? That's change. Because a child has no control. In my house, Sarah Jane does not control the home. She tries to sometimes, but I will not let her control the home. I put my foot down and say, no, because why? Because she's a child. So that's what I think Jesus is talking about. We become like a child. We're yielding to whatever the parents want, whatever our Heavenly Father wants. And so I make a choice today. God is always doing new things, and He requires new vehicles or conveyances for that new to be brought in to his perfection. Always has to be. Things are going to be transformed around us. And if we, I find with God and his work and what his spirit is doing on planet earth, we get with it, we get on board and we get run over basically. And then we get left behind. But one thing I know about God is God's not going to stop. God will keep rolling forward. He will keep moving onward and forward and we either get in coordination with Him and be willing to be changed to fit His plans or we'll be left behind. But it is our choice. And then because we have been given free will, it puts us in the command chair. So we have to make the choice to change the person that takes the lowly position of the child. The person that makes a choice to I'm going to allow this transformation to take place because he's doing new things. Like it says in Matthew 9, 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and are both preserved. And it is later in that same passage, Jesus says, yeah, but men like the old wine better. They would rather, in fact, there's, in fact, it's not so much that they like the wine as much as they like the skin it's in. They're so happy with that skin because it's there and it's established that the new wine comes, but they have to balance out. If we take the new wine... It's not going to work in this old skin. But you know what? The old wine is good, right? Yeah. And they come into a consensus of opinion together that we'll just keep the old. We like the old better. Someone has to value the traditions of our forefathers. That's why Jesus said, beware of the traditions of men. Because traditions are skins that have aged. Uh, these protocols that are set up, these standards, and I'm not talking about biblical standards. We need standards to live by. I'm talking about the way that we operate as a church, as a spiritual individual, as a person on planet Earth. We need to be willing to change. Very important. And I decide to change. I'm, I make the decision to change. I want to change. I like change. I like new. 
I want to be new. My prayer is that the Lord would do a new work in me today. That He'd do a new work in me every day. I want to be a different Stephen. Next week, I want to be a different person. Next month, I want to... I, one year from now, I want to look at me and say, that's not the same guy. He's doing things differently. He's thinking differently. He's acting differently. That's a different person. And it's that, so you start thinking, okay, it's a choice. We start on this foundation. We decide, God, I'm willing to change. I will take the position of a child. I will become like a child. That's my choice. But now what that does is it authorizes God to begin His work. Everything only starts with that element of change. The acceptance of change, that you choose to change, is just, that's like the, the horse being let out of the gate. And it will run into a full gallop. If God is given an inch in your life of choice that you give to Him, He will take a mile. He is going to consume you if you yield to Him. And I say, Lord, consume us all. Second fact, fact number two, change is often slow. Sometimes it's not instant, and transformation takes time. It says in 2 Peter 3, 8, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting you or anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And of course, that word there, repentance, means change. God wants everyone to change, it's saying. He wants everyone to be transformed. And He's patient. It's not that he's slow, it's that he knows you can't handle things moving too quickly. You cannot handle exactly what he wants. Now, he will build you up to a level. Now, he is also the God of the suddenly, so this is balanced with the fact that he will strike you with lightning and change everything. And he will set you on fire. Obviously, you know, Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the Apostle, that was a suddenly. The power of God hit him on that road, and God's power can do that. We'll talk about that later. But often the, the gestation of us in the womb of life that God is bringing us to become a new creation, a new birth of our existence, that takes time. And we grow impatient sometimes with the transformation process. And the way that he works is not always an instantaneous move. But So we have to just be patient. Most frequently, Lord, patiently and lovingly sculpts us into the image and design he wishes over a period of years. And it'll take a long time. I've been revisiting Heinz Feet on High Places. I put a couple of quotes uh, or a quote on Facebook. Just really good information that speaks about the process of metamorphosis. Sometimes it takes a lot more than you. It takes more time than you want it to. So sometimes change is slow. So we see the slow process throughout the Word. Actually, you do. In the Word of God, think of all the stories of how slow their transformation was. How years went by. He left them a certain way until Penwell. And then it was time for things to change. But years, decades went by. He left Moses 40 years in the wilderness as he was. Doing what? Just shepherding sheep? No, there's a lot more than that. He was, in that time, undoubtedly being prepared, changed. I always picture Elisha on the 12th yoke of oxen, dreaming about one day maybe doing something for God, working in those fields, not even knowing or expecting, not understanding what was coming. Elisha did not know that he was going to be the prophet in Israel that takes the place of Elijah. God spoke to Elijah and told him, go anoint Elisha. And he went to do so based upon the instructions of God. Elisha did not know it until the moment came. So sometimes we're in a, a process of change or transformation, but we, we, don't, we don't know it. We don't understand it. So we see that process in the Word of God being slow sometimes. Fact three. Change is renewal of the mind first. Uh, if this mind doesn't change, there will be no metamorphosis. And the greatest enemy of God's changing process and purposes is your natural mind. Your thoughts. It says in Romans 
Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That was what we talked about earlier. He says, for where God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is saying the same thing. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His plan for you, by first allowing a transformation of your mind. So we saw as we start here that we need to make a choice. We make that choice. The process may take some time. It might be slow. But we have to understand in this third fact that it starts up here. We need to start submitting our minds to God's processes of change by allowing Him to renew the way we think. And then you think, well, how can, how does God renew our minds? Actually, there's two, I researched carefully, there's two main things that He does. Two main mechanisms or um, tools that are used to change this human mind of ours. And we're going to look at both of them. It's a twofold process. First, renewing of your mind by the Word of God. So it's the Word first. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. The washing of water through the Word, the Word will wash you. There's a term they use, it it's often has negative connotations connected to it called brainwashing. I don't have a problem with brainwashing. I think, and you know, of course people might be watching online, Pastor Stephen said he's brainwashing people. No, I'm saying I don't have a problem with my brain being washed in the Word of God. I say God brainwashed. And as a result of reading the Word for many years, it has had an effect on me that has alienated me from this world. My opinions are so starkly different to the people around me that I often find myself lost and I cannot believe what they believe and think is right. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. What they're accepting. What they're believing. What they have no issues about. Oh, it's okay. It's okay this, okay that. And I realize that that can only be lived without guilt if you are steeped in ignorance concerning God's Word. And I realize that a lot of Christians do not know His Word. They're not studying it. They're not learning it. They're not memorizing it. It's one thing if you're a new believer. I get that it's going to take some time. But really, this is the most important thing to renew our minds. The washing with water through the Word. We need every day to read. Allow, allow God's Word to reprogram. So our minds, if you think about it, our minds are full of information that's been given to us our whole lives. In the time you're born, you're being fed information. Not biblical information, but information from your parents, from aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. And then you're put in school. Um, how godly is the school you've been through? I doubt hardly at all. I bet it was a completely secularized form of education. And, it, and to fit within a nation, I imagine it has to be, if we are going to have one common understanding, let's just say Singapore, which is a great nation and has got a great educational system valued around the world. In fact, being copied, emulated in other nations, especially the math, but other things. There's also a high-pressure area, but also we can find that they cannot put within that educational system religious moralities by definition or specificity. Because why? Because you have many cultures and many religions. And reasonably, you can't just, you know, push Christian values or Muslim values or Hindu values or Buddhist values in a standardized educational process because it's not fair. And I get that. So therefore, if our children are being programmed by the educational system, we need to subsidize that. That's what most Christians do, and they end up... In my case, I totally isolate my children and do homeschooling, which is completely based on Christian education and biblical foundation. 
Then not everybody can do that. But if you can, it's great because they are being programmed. But we have been under programming our whole lives uh, in what influences our decision making is what we, what is programmed us. The information we've been fed or given. So we use logic and God is not very logical from what I see in the Word of God. One of the problems I have sometimes with some theological uh, individuals or some teachers and preachers is they become hyperlogical and they become too practical. And honestly, the Word of God is not a logical book. And the information given to us is not going to fit normal logic. In fact, it will challenge logic and cause us to be illogical or have to make a choice. So the transformation or the change we go through requires that sometimes we lay down common sense, world's wisdom, which God calls foolishness anyway. That we have to put these things aside so that the washing of the water of the Word can take place. So we choose things according to our mental criteria. That is, the decisions we make. We decide whether something is acceptable or not acceptable. Why? Because we have uh, an entire gathering of information that affects our or tempers our choices. But what if that's not biblical? Well, then it needs to become biblical. We need to replace those things with biblical information. That's why the Bible is so important. This is why we must renew our minds in God's Word every single day. Now, the other, I said twofold process of renewal of the mind. The other one is renewing of your mind by the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. How many of you want the Spirit to govern your mind? You elect the Holy Spirit as governor of your mind. Imagine your mind is a kingdom. It is a political domain where somebody has to be leader. It's either you or the Holy Spirit. And if you govern your mind, then you're living by the flesh. It's that simple. I'm just black and white. But if you yield your mind to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit governs your mind, then there is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it says. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Poor thing. I think you're expecting too much out of your mind. You're looking into your own mind and deciding you're, you have expectations that are wholly irrational, unreasonable. You're being unfair to your fleshly mind. You're expecting your mind to get with a program that it will never be able to get with. And that's why it has to be fired from that position of control. You have to remove its control. You have to allow the spirit to take over. Because the mind governed by the flesh is hostile. does not submit to God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. How many of you would like to think right now that the Spirit of God is living in you? Okay, then indeed, if it does, you are in the realm of the Spirit. I'm in the realm of the Spirit. I'm making a choice to live in the realm of the Spirit. But there is a war being fought inside of me every day in my mind. So what do I do? I need to renew my mind, first with the Word of God, but now with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has to renew the way that I think. We have to allow Him to do it. It says, very, it says there that, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Well, we do have the Spirit, and we are walking in it, and we are renewing our mind by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit... Go right in, take over, sit on the seat of authority of my mind. I have the mind of Christ. I will say it and decide it that it's true. I want to be renewed. So we follow the Lord and His Spirit, and we have to allow the Spirit of God to govern our minds. We ultimately are in control of our thoughts and minds. Like I said earlier, therefore we have the authority to do with it what we want. So if, if I am ruling as king of my mind, that means I have the ultimate word. What I say must be carried out. So what if I say, I hereby delegate and authorize the Holy Spirit to control the kingdom of my mind. Holy Spirit, you take over and do what you want. That would be a total renewal. 
So we subject our mind to the Holy Spirit. So I invite the Holy Spirit to renew my thoughts, my way of thinking in each new season of my life. And that's the thing. Even the Holy Spirit's thoughts and patterns that have been given to you for a last season, it's like manna. It's not applicable now. Even some of the patterns you picked up spiritually have to be renewed constantly. Because new things are coming. And we can't think the way... It's so easy to fall into that rut or that, that pattern of doing things the same way. And it's, you've got to be willing to change or you'll be left behind. The way the Holy Spirit is moving is amazing. I know it's true because if I take a select group of people and start a new spiritual movement with them, I will find that the flavor, the nuances of that group are very unique and different than anything I've ever done before. And if I get another one just a few weeks out, it will be different too. Because wherever you start at, freshness comes by the Spirit and it's different. So we have to constantly yield to the renewing of our minds by the Spirit. Fact four, change requires focus of faith and hope. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Thank God. For our light and momentary troubles, now it tells you the mechanism through which we're changed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we see here that this day-by-day -day renewal on the inside is God's work of transformation. And every day we, we go through this that we are required to change, and change requires focus and faith and hope. We have to believe, in other words, we have to set our mind on that. So day by day, our renewal on the inside is brought about by the problems of life. So the mechanism through which we are changed is trouble. Only through much tribulation can we enter. So all the problems we have, in fact, it says let patience have its perfect work because that's what makes you perfect and entire, which means first count it all joy when you fall into these different trials and temptations and difficulties. Trials, difficulties, the hardships of this life are what really do the work of transformation. And without it, and, and what it's saying clearly in the verse that is not written there, but I'm quoting to you, that the momentary troubles, and that's momentary, not permanent, are achieving for us an eternal glory. And if you really get a vision for that, you will. That's why it says, count it joy. Rejoice when you're having trouble. I know that sounds insane, but if you get a vision for what it's doing in you and the eternal value of your troubles, all I ask the Lord, I know I'm going to have to live through a lot of troubles and I have again and again and again through life, but all I ask for the Lord is every once in a while, just give me a little holiday. <laughs> just a holiday, you know, a little vacation. Or just for a moment, everything will work out and I'll be happy and I know it's 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 a it's a misguided utopian dream that's not true, but just let me have it for a little while. Jesus didn't have it. Think about it. Paul didn't have it. None of those of the Hall of Faith of of, of Hebrews eleven had. They said they all died, never having seen substantiated what they were hoping for. Gosh, what a miserable book! Why am I following this book? <laughs> Because of what it says. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because the momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs the most. It doesn't matter. The value is so much more important for us. Amen. We go to number five. Moving on. Change comes through the power of God. Now, it says in... Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which is engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And it should be. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious 
that, but they're using this analogy of how the change comes through the power of God, but that it also is a mechanism of difficulties in life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9 continues, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. It goes on in verse 13. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So change comes through the power of the Spirit of God as we are being transformed into His image as a result of looking at Him contemplating. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, you know, where it speaks that so that the glory will be of Him. It is of Him. But we look into the face of Christ. That our encounter with Spirit, the power of God on us is what transforms us and changes everything. And that's where it's so important that we constantly be under the Spirit. We saw that in the renewal. But we know that that comes through the power of God, as it says, day by day. Each day that we go, the Spirit, the Lord is, is the Spirit. And uh, who is the Spirit, says on the end also. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is uh, liberation from bondages and chains. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, because what he's talking about, the bondages and change, are those of the Old Testament patterns and the, and the Jews that were under that, they could not see, because only through Jesus could the veil be taken away. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. I even remember being born again and having a Bible and reading it in the first couple of weeks and not really understanding anything until I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And something happened. When I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible came alive. Because it's, that's the veil. The Spirit on us, the power of God on us, is the veil being removed. Then the glory of the Lord gives us glory glasses through which we can see the Word clearly and then be transformed into His image with, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is providing the power of God to change us. Fact six, change happens under the hand of God. It says in Psalm 103, it's a beautiful psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. I like that the psalmist here, David, is speaking to his own soul. Like as if it's a different person. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As we come into the presence of the Lord under His hand, the hand of God, our soul is transformed and He heals us, He forgives us, He takes away our diseases and whatever ails us and He redeems our life from what was a destiny of destruction. And He satisfies us with good things, the desires that we have, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. That renewal, that change, metamorphosis comes under the hand of God. When I come under the hand of God, He does this work, I change. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So when we come under the hand of God, we will change. And submission to God's purposes and plans is how we put ourselves under His hand. I always say, Lord, put your hand on me, lay your hand on me, cover me, uh, do whatever you want. And if we come under the hand of God, like the prophets of old even said, and the hand of God was upon me. He talked about the hand was heavy. 
upon them. And I pray for God's hand to heavily come upon us constantly because that's where we change. Humble yourself under the mighty hand. And He will lift you up in due time. So we give Him everything. And we have to yield to what He wants, really. It's not what we want when we come under that hand. If we're not able to yield to the processes, we will not be changed. So we yield. We'll go to the last one, number seven. And this one is a bit labored. Change is an encounter with God, bottom line. Now, this is a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So change is an encounter with God. And, and as I was reviewing this last point, I saw within another separate division of points of seven things about changing by encounter. Because really, an encounter with God is what changes everything. I've spoken to a lot of people through the years that have been really radically transformed because of supernatural visitation of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's encounter is what made them something different. And that can happen subsequently also. Afterward, we should constantly be changed like that. So don't think, well, I had an encounter in 19... 1985, I had an encounter in, in 2004. No, you need an encounter today. Every day, you can go through another renewal process by encounter. And that's exactly what the Lord wants. Uh, these th seven things about changing my encounter, Jesus takes us there. Jesus is leading you there. He's the one who took taking him up on the mountain. He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. He takes you to a high place. When you worship Him, he, His objective in our interaction with Him is always to take us apart. Come up here, He says. Come separate yourself. I want to do something in you. Like He led them up that mountain. He leads us in prayer. He leads us in, if it's even fasting. If you feel that God's calling you to fast, fast. If you feel that God's calling you to pray, pray. If you feel that God's calling you into the Word, submit. Because that's Jesus leading you because He's looking to have an encounter with you because He knows if He can take you up to have a mutual encounter with Him on the mountain, then you will forever be changed. And that is by His Spirit, by encounter with God. And number two, the story continues, encountering the spiritual realms what changes us. As He was praying, the appearance of His face changed and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning corresponding passage in Matthew 72 says there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Two men, back in Luke, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting because this is all spiritually taking place. But yet, this encounter is so vivid and real to them that they see it. And so I can't help but reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Because the transition between physical and spiritual, and then the physical spiritual, the spiritual physicality of our future, it gets a little confusing. But you know, we will be metamorphosized, changed in an instant, and given a new form in a new body, which is technically spiritual from our perceptions today. An encounter with God, visions, dreams, our experiences when we encounter the Spirit of God have a transforming effect just by reason of osmosis. They're just there where Jesus is having an encounter. And that's their encounter. Uh, to be standing in a place where somebody is encountering <laughs> the Spirit of God, <laughs> it's, it's contagious. You can't be near a move of the Holy Spirit on someone without experiencing a move of the Holy Spirit. You understand? So encountering the spiritual realm itself is what changes us. If we can just taste of the powers of the world to come, and we taste and see that it's good and it's delicious. That's where change comes. And we, be, we are changed. They're, they're not being transfigured at the moment. They're just near a transfiguration and their whole lives are being rocked. They, they just got to meet Moses and Elijah. They're on the mountain hearing a talk about the end game of Jesus. 
as he's going to fulfill their tiny little brains are doing somersaults in their skull. You know, there's no, because something happens in your presence I cannot understand. <laughs> when I'm alone with you, my deepest desire comes true. <laughs> ah, because the, 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 the realm. <laughs> The realm itself changes you. Yes. <laughs> 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 <sighs> the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as light. And two guys, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. You can't experience this without being changed. They weren't like biting their nails or, Jesus, how long are we going to be? How long is this thing going to... No, they knew, without a doubt. What? Like, what we're seeing, they knew. This is... This is other world stuff. This is bigger than us. This is... That's what happens when you have an encounter with an encounter. Yeah, I mean, my, my encounter is a result of other people's encounters, honestly. I heard stories of people's encounters, and I was present on the mountain when I read the book of Benny Hinn and other authors and Morris Cirilla and people that had amazing encounters. When I heard my pastor Ken Dunbar talk about the infill of the Holy Spirit when he was in seminary and he became electrified and he ran out his, in his backyard, he jumped, he leapt over a fence and ran over to the neighbor and banging on the back door, screaming, the Holy Ghost is on me. And, and he, that encounter that when he was telling me that I, so exciting, I was I encountered from his encounter. Yeah. That's the power of testimony. Yeah. They're not doing anything but watching, but yet they're totally changed by this book. Encountering the spiritual realm changes us. The story continues. Number three, there's a physical effect. Hmm. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory the two men standing with them. Now, please just excuse Luke here. Luke did not have our modern charismaniac technology to be able to say that this is slain in the spirit, or it's just, he just called it sleepy. But we know what this means, that the spirit of God has a physical effect of the spirit. The spiritual realm, the encounter of God, has an effect on you physically. It has been so extensive to me at times that it has affected my vision. It transformed my vision in 1995. I just passed the anniversary of it, um, September, I mean, April 7th. Uh, we just passed. And on that day, I remembered it and recalled it and thought about it. And I had an encounter with God again, April 7th, 45, and I was blind for 45 minutes. And then after that, my vision was changed. It had a physical effect on me. I physically feel when the Spirit moves. On that day, he also brought me to a whole other area of discernment. It's not a spiritual discernment. I learned how to physically discern the Holy Spirit. You understand? I can physically discern. I can feel the Holy Spirit. Even if I'm not aware of it, I know it. Huh. And then I'll feel it. You know what I'm talking about. You feel like it. And you don't understand what's going on. But you know why? Because you have learned and been conditioned by the physical effect of God's Spirit. The wind on the wheat. When the wind blows and the wheat bows, you see the wind. You know the Spirit is moving by that. That's why I always tell people. They think I'm so super spiritual because I say, I see the Spirit moving over there. And they're like, oh, you see in the spiritual realm. No, it's somebody shaking and crying. <laughs> somebody over there going into convulsions. I, I mean, I see the Spirit. They think I'm like, and then I see the Spirit in the spiritual realm. I see. Now, sometimes I do see things in the Spirit. But it doesn't look like spirit to me. It looks like Moses and, and uh, Elijah on the mountain. It's real to me. That's why I get so excited. You know, when I see things in spirit, you see I get excited. Like, I, I saw it. Like, I'll say, I saw it. Like, it looked like a beam. And I'll get emotional so I cry because I'm just excited that God would let me witness that person's encounter even though nothing's happening to me. So the effect of it then, it changes. 
by association, then later, my discernment increases because I know when the spirit is moving, I can feel it has a physical effect. Change comes by that. You can't be the same after you've had these experiences. It would be difficult to be the same. It would be a challenge, a challenge to you to, to be the same. Next, number four, we desire to change something. Once we feel and we through this, it's like something, we got to do something. Something has to be done. As the men were leaving Jesus, that is Elijah and Moses, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, he didn't know what he was saying. I'm reading the Bible, so it says, he didn't know what he was saying. Luke, right? He, he didn't. Parenthetically, Luke wrote on the scroll. He, he had no idea what he was saying. rubbish. He's going to put up a tent for Moses. A Moses tent, an Elijah tent, and a Jesus tent. Like, he's literally going to build little shelters so they can... <laughs> Jesus doesn't even answer this. I love that it's totally ignored. Like, okay. And they just go on. Just don't even... Because he doesn't understand. That is really how the presence of God affects us. Change from encounter does that. It makes us just feel like we need to do something different. We need to, we've got, we got to find something. And we might make mistakes. And we don't always know what we're even talking about. But we just got to do something. Because the Spirit of the Lord is provoking change. Change is an encounter with God. We go on number five. We fear God's power. We better fear God's power. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. In Matthew 17, 6, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, as they should. It's a fearful thing to be where God is, where God is moving. I know the first times I've, I experienced the power of God, I was scared. I was scared to death in that tent with R.W. Shambach and, and the anointing. I didn't know what that was. I was afraid of that. But yet, mysteriously attracted at the same time. You remember your first, first encounters with the power of God? You're as, as afraid as you are is how curious you are. You, you know it's just something. It's, it's such an excitement. You're petrified. But it's kind of like a roller coaster. You know if you get on the roller coaster, it's scary. And you know you're going to be scared, but you do it anyway. And, you, and, you, and while you're in the queue, you're like, we're almost done. It's coming. It's coming. I remember I took Pedro Vargas with me to Universal, and I took him on the roller coaster, and we were in the queue. And he was scared because he heard the people screaming, and then they were coming back screaming. And he's like, are they going to hurt us? And I was like, no, just relax. Okay. He was so scared, he was praying in tongues. But I said, look, I said, Pedro, this is not a spiritual thing we're doing. Just relax. And he says, look, I, I, I noticed that when, when they let the people go, the people are leaving, I'm just going to go out. You go. I'll wait for you. I said, no, no you're going with me. I'm your apostle. You're going to go. No, I'm afraid. Stephen, I'm afraid. I said, don't be afraid, man. This is going to be a great event because he'd never been on anything like that. That's how an encounter with the Lord is. It's exciting. And when he got, I told him, I said, you're going to scream. And he says, I, no, I don't think I'm going to scream like that. And I said, oh, you're going to scream. He says, no, but I, I said, just, all right. For, like, you know, it goes up, and then there's that, when it accelerates up. I'm talking about the Battlestar Galactica. But as soon as it went, it took off, he went, like a, like a schoolgirl. He screamed the whole way. Screaming, but laughing at the same time. <laughs> That's why it's a lot like an encounter with God. When the power of God comes upon you, the Spirit of the Lord starts working inside you, you will feel the euphoria like you're being taken uh, out of normality. You, you're not used to those experiences. It's the powers of the world to come you're experiencing. So you get so excited about it that you do scream and you cry and you fall and you quiver and you and it says they fell face down to the ground terrified it happens and it's beautiful and then what we're talking about here is is the process of change that comes from encounter and we go to the next number six uh, we we have to learn to live in the glory but 
Jesus came. Now they're afraid. They're freaking out. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So Jesus is like, they heard the voice. They fell on their faces. And in, uh, in that moment, Elijah and Moses were like, all right, we'll check you later. They, left. they didn't even see them leave. But then they're freaked out on the ground. And Jesus went over and says, hey, Hey, get up, guys. Come on. Don't be afraid. And they got up because there's a learning curve that Jesus was used to transfigurations. I really do believe that was a regular process for him. That was just how he he was living on a spiritual level, which is so exciting to me because if he could do it, we can too because he's the firstborn among many brothers and we can live on a plane where we go through transfigurations like that. That's my goal. That's my goal. I want to have to put special curtains on my windows so that people don't freak out with the light that's shining out of my room when I pray. I would love to have to wear a veil on my face. We learn to live in the glory. I invite the Lord to do more. I, just, I want more and more and more. And finally, number seven, it's personal. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. They told everybody later on Later, after the resurrection of Christ, um, Peter writes it in his letters to the churches. I was, I saw his transfigure. You know, it was a testimony that he carried. But it, for a while, it was something personal in them. And I find every encounter, especially the kind of encounter that changes us, metamorphosizes us into something different, it's so unique and personal that you really can't prescribe it to someone else like a medication. It's so custom tailored to you. Because God loves you so specifically and exactly because of who you are that His encounter with you is crafted very, very carefully to fit exactly you because that's how much He loves us. And you keep it to yourself because it's God's love for you manifested in that regard. Thank you, Jesus. Change, evolutionary metamorphosis of the believer. These are the seven facts about change we saw. Number one, change is a choice. So get to choosing. Start choose, choose to change. God, I want to change. God, I don't want to change. I really, I really have trouble with people that don't want to change. People just get so settled and happy in where they are, and it's a dangerous thing in the spirit. It's a dangerous thing in the spirit. We don't have a right to do that. To say I don't want to change is to say God cannot have my life. Number two, change is often slow. You need to be patient. You're going to have to learn the patience of much afraid in hind feet in high places and just learn not to be in a rush. He's not going to bring you to the high places right away. You're going to have to go through some dark valleys and through some troubles and some difficulties. Number three, change is renewal of the mind first. You have to bring this. You have to take captive every thought. And then renew it by those two dimensions that we saw, by Word and by Holy Spirit. By the Word of God washing our minds constantly. Read the Word, read the Word, and then come under the hand of the Spirit of God to be transformed. That will protect you. Really, the way that you'll stay out of error is constantly being um, changeable and flexible under the hand of God. That's why Jesus said you err because you know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. Same two dimensions there. But if we know the Scriptures and we know the power of God, that God has control to speak as He wishes that redirect us constantly. Very exciting. I, I embrace change for that reason. I want to be renewed in my mind first. I start there with my thoughts, the way I don't have everything figured out. And if there's anything in me that I believe I have figured out, I need to start there with renewal. Get it figured out. No, we can't have it. We're not going to figure it out. We just need to do our best, but we need to yield to the Lord. Our brains, our minds. Change, number four, requires focus of faith. Yeah, it says that that's a scripture we didn't have listed there, but it's an important scripture about we look at the things that are not seen. It's the same thing about when you go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father's unseen, and He will reward you. It's learning to trade out what is tangible with what is intangible. The very first prophetic word I ever had from a pulpit when I was just a young man was God desires the things that are tangible to become intangible, and the things that are intangible to become tangible. And it was just the Spirit speaking through me. You've heard that story. That's still the truth for me. And one of the most important precepts of my life is understanding 
that change requires focus of faith. And we walk by faith, not by sight. And what we do not have, we hope for, we know. Hope is power. Hope is alive. Hope is life. I have hope. I'm hoping for great things that are coming. We are, we are on the verge. We're being transformed. Change as a metamorphosis taking place and nobody's comfortable about it, but mark my words, just in the future, not that long from there, you're going to rejoice and say, I knew it was a good thing going on and I knew God was going to do great things and I'm so glad to see what's happening. It just It's hard to understand because the mechanism through which change comes often will be connected to things that seem negative or troublesome or problems, but it's not that. It's God's hand. His handiwork. And that's what He's doing. So God, do it. Do it. Do it. Whatever it takes. Change comes through the power of God. His Spirit changing us. Metamorphosized. We're changed from glory to glory under His power. Number six, change happens under the hand of God. Submit yourself under the hand. Humble yourself under the hand of God. Due time, He's going to use you. He's going to change you. Refashion you. Reform you. You might have to spend 40 years in the wilderness, but He's going to take you and use you. Seven changes in encounter with God. And we broke down those those um, seven different attributes of that, which I call seven things about changing. Jesus takes us there, encountering the spiritual realm changes us. The realm itself changes And there's a physical effect. We learn that. And we desire to change something as a result. We fear God's power, which is healthy. It's the beginning of wisdom. We learn to live in the glory. And we see that it's personal. Very personal. God is so good, so kind, so loving, so patient. Day is like a thousand years, a thousand years. Like He's in no hurry to make you into what He wants you to be. The change might be slow. It's like tuning. Uh, when, when You know, when you take a guitar, most people don't know this, but I actually know some guitar. My father actually constructed guitars professionally for a while. And I have a good friend of mine here that I had received as a gift years back a really nice baby blue Fender Stratocaster from the 80s. It's vintage. It's a beautiful guitar like an Eric Clapton plays. It's a you know, great guitar. And I was given that guitar, but there was a problem with the neck. It was a slight, a slight uh, warp in the neck. And so I asked a friend of mine if he could uh, change it for me, fix it. And he says, yes. He says, but you're going to need to leave it with me for a couple of months. A couple of months. How long does it take you just to tighten it? He says, no, it's not that simple. He says, uh, first you have to put the guitar in an environment with the right amount of humidity. And you have to allow the wood slowly over a period of a couple of weeks to become moist in a way that you cannot perceive, but by the humidity. And once that's in the wood, he says, then you turn, there's a screw there in the neck, and a guitar has it, there's a screw inside, you go down through the sound hole, if it's acoustic or it's behind and from the other side, and it's a rod that runs through the neck that increases and decreases tension on the neck to change the shape of it. But if you do it too quickly, if you do it crank, 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 and you can straighten it out in the moment, but the wood is not ready for the change, and it will splinter and even crack and warp the neck. Once the neck is warped, it's virtually ruined. You can take, you know, like the guitar I have is worth thousands of dollars. If, if you do that, it's ruined. You can't play it because there's dead spots and frets out and it's all kinds of mess. But he says, no, he showed me. He says, I turned, he put a torque wrench on there and he turned it about a centimeter and then backed off. He said, now you have to let it sit for a couple of days. I was like, that's crazy. He says, that's the only way it can be. If you want it done right. Change takes time because he's reshaping us, and that you know too quickly, you can reshape a bone um, by by putting you know pressure on it the right way. That's how that's therapeutic. People actually wear things to reshape their bones, and you know these therapies that are used physical therapy to reshape the bones will conform. But you can't just put that thing on there and crack, snap them in place, and say, okay, there you go. No, it takes takes months, sometimes years. Braces. Your teeth can be going every way, west, south, east, you know, teeth, teeth going up. And, and I've seen people with teeth that looked like a snaggly dog, and then an orthodontist uh, knew exactly what to do and brought those teeth back into perfect shape. Amazing how it works. But they don't just go in there and snap, crack, pop, boom, 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 bo
right? These are just all principles of the same thing that we see. God's changing us. It's going to take time. We in such a rush. We think two years is a long time. We think three years is a, is a long time. We think four years. To God, to God, a thousand years is a day. That's why it says it. He's got plenty of time. We, and, he's, and He's patient. Why? Because He's not willing it, and He should perish, it says. He wants us all to be exactly what, so that we can fulfill His purposes. And it's just going to take time. He will carefully craft and sculpt you. you Maybe because you're a tool that's going to be used in a moment that you cannot possibly dream or think of. And then that all these years could go by that you're being shaped so that you can be placed in the right atmosphere for such a time as this. Like Esther, in the right moment to save thousands of souls because of the little things and the torturous evolution of your life, these troubles you had, bring you to a perfect moment where it'll all make sense. That's the quote that I was looking at today. I didn't post that one, but beautiful quote about that. In fact, I'd like to read it to you. This is from um, the book, uh, Heinz Feet on high places and you know the character there is much afraid and she's been through a lot of trouble in her life and uh, in the story and this is the quote it says she had the feeling that somehow in the very far off places perhaps even in far off ages there would be a meaning found to all sorrow and an answer too fair and wonderful to be as yet understood. Written by uh, Hannah Hernard, Heinz Feetheart, but she was a missionary for 50 years in Palestine. And went through a lot of hard times and she wrote some really good books. So that was one, Heinz Feet on High Places, recommended. It speaks about this whole process. We are being changed. The evolutionary metamorphosis of the believer just yields. Just yield. It all comes down to that. I don't even need the preacher. I just need to say yield. <coughs> People can grasp that and just yield, then we'll change because he's doing the work. But of course, we need to detail the issues of it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.